being a young adolescent and kind of knowing how you were, you know, how your life was, did you want any Like Yes, I wanted six kids. So with that being said, uh, I had six kids. I only had one living child. Your first time getting pregnant was the time you actually had Ronnie? No. I was pregnant before then. I kept him because I lost the child. I had a baby while I ran away. I had a premature. She lived for 13 weeks. She died, sis. We buried her at the mosque in Plainfield in the backyard. Her name? Naija Nefatima Muhammad. Beautiful baby. I kept that shit. I ain't even tell my parents. All they knew was that I was gone and I came home. I never told my family about her. That was between me, her father, and the imam. And then her father got murdered right after that. So it was weird. It was a situation. I went to boarding school. I was fucking around. Akbar was dope. He had a twin brother. They hustled in Plainfield in North, down Brick City. And he came into my life. It was a whirlwind. I got pregnant while I was at boarding school and I was, I was doing shit. <laughs> What age is this? 14. And um, I like bad guys. But Ak was, he was just that dude that no matter what I asked him, he would do it. I could ask him for anything, and he would just do it. Like, that was the first time I experienced that. Like a man that's really that much about you that there's anything you could ask for. If I had asked that nigga to buy me a plane, he would have fucking hustled until he got it. <laughs> and then gave it to me. Um, he was really smart. And he was very heavy on his dean. He was very heavy in Islam. His belief made me want to believe like just the power that he 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 drew from reading the Quran and making prayer and we would make salat and always praying to the east, you know, it was we were kids, but he was so on his dean. And his brother was the exact opposite. His brother's identical twin was a fuck ass, was running around raping and fucking half of North Jersey, robbing. He had a lot of enemies. So what was your denomination growing up? Uh, I, know you said I was born and raised Seventh-day Adventist, and I was rebaptizing on Seventh-day Adventist still. Um, but I really don't believe in religion. I honor the word. So people like me, we take the dean, the walk, very seriously. I got pregnant. I had my pregnancy. I had Niasia when I was 28 weeks. 
and she was over seven pounds at 28 weeks. She was going to be huge. We was at the mosque. And one day I went to go nurse her and she was blue. And then her father got murdered six months later. After, after we buried her, I went home because I had been missing for like four months. So I always was missing when I was a kid. But I came home and it was like nothing ever happened. And I was doing dishes and I just buried my child, but I was doing dishes and vacuuming carpets and raking up the leaves. Like nothing ever happened. Like I was never gone at all. I never brought it up. I never talked to nobody. Were you mentally prepped to be brought back to town? God, no. No 14 year old girl is. But it definitely changed my perspective about what that is. I was at baby's mother for, for 13 weeks. And then um, I went to go visit Art. We hadn't seen each other for like four or five months because when I came home, I knew I had to be home, you know. No. Yeah, pull up. You know what I mean? I, I got to, you know, do all the right things and because I was a runaway. So it was about four and a half months. And um, there was an audition. It was an open casting call in New York. And that was my excuse for leaving. I didn't go to the casting call. I never made it to New York. I got off in Trenton. <laughs> Ock picked me up and we drove the rest of the way to Plainfield and we hung out, you know, it was just like nothing, like no time had passed and I was leaving to go back home because I couldn't stay the night because I had to be back home. I was just going to New York for all audition and he put me in a cab to take me to the train station. Of course, he caked me out, gave me money. And as I was pulling off, that's when I seen the car come up and then four niggas um, jumped out and then they just shot him. Um, they thought he was his twin brother. Um, I had seen people get shot before. But when I saw him getting shot in that moment, the first thing that came to my mind was, Naija gone, now he gone. And it's like this whole part of my life never happened. And so I made the cab pull around. He ain't want to pull around because they were shooting. I'm like, you better turn around. And he didn't want to turn around, so I pulled my knife out and I put it to his neck. 
And I said, so help me God, if you don't turn this car around, I'm gonna cut your fucking throat. And um, he turned around, they got in the car and they pulled off and I, and I got to be with Ark. It was about five minutes. And uh, he, he died on my lap. And he said, I'm going to be with her. I love you. He was going to be with our daughter. And he said, be strong. Because you're alone now. And um, I went to my people crib. I didn't wait for the cops to come. I wasn't a witness and I wasn't asked no fucking questions. So I went to my girlfriend's house, Nefertima. She let me change, shower, get the blood off me, got me some clothes. I took the train, I went home. I did dishes. And I vacuumed. And I made beds and I did laundry. Like nothing ever happened. So when I got pregnant with Giovanni, there was absolutely no way I wasn't keeping him. I was keeping him. Um, I know the value of life. Niaja made it possible for Giovanni to survive. Because the truth is, is if that experience had never happened with Niaja, I would have had an abortion um, with Giovanni because I wasn't quite sure who his father was. I knew I wanted his father to be. And I knew who his father could be. His father wanted. His father, ten years older than me too. But the guy that I was in love with was seven years older than me. That was complicated. I ended up being pregnant by Donnie. Um, I did the pregnancy. I went home when I was five months because I wanted to make sure I was showing because that rapist was still living in my house. So I figured if I was pregnant, he wouldn't fuck with me. So I went home when I was five months um, and started preparing to have Giovanni. And um, I mean, it was really wild because then there was that moment uh Uh, How old were you at this time? 15, going on 16. I was still fucking with John from the Bojacks, see? Bojacks is a notorious crime family in Philadelphia. Real niggas. I met John when I was coming from the hospital. Anthony. The one I told you got shot in the head. So once Anthony dumped me, I was like, fuck it, I might as well kick it with John because he would always see me going to, he, he saw me going to the hospital every day. Why, why you always going to the hospital? Why you always gonna, you eat a lot of um, quarter, quarter pounds and I'm like, they not for me, you know? Because they was always up broad in Allegheny. 
or they be on 15th Street hustling. So I was like, fuck it, mine as well. I didn't really understand the gravity of what I was getting into with the Bojacks. Number one, the biggest gangster in that family wasn't a man. It was the sister, Wanda. Wanda motherfucking Bojack. Only bitch tougher than my cousin Tyra in the South Philly area. Wanda motherfucking Bojack wasn't no joke. Wanda Bojack put a nigga down before a nigga get a chance. I seen Wanda Bojack rock a nigga in the fucking jaw with one shot and knock him out cold. Motherfuckers think I'm scary. I know scary bitches. Motherfucking Wanda Bojack. So I fucked with her little, her little cousin, John. Bobby was a brother. Bobby Bojack, crazy than a motherfucker. And Willie was special. They did what? They smoked, you know, they did butt naked. Willie started smoking that butt naked. I'll never forget, we was in the basement. Oh my God. House. Right off 39th and Lancaster on the bottom. Oh my God. So I'm not smoking this shit with them. Fuck that. I ain't smoking environment fluid. I had me a little joint, untouched, undipped. And I'm watching these niggas trip. They talking all kinds of crazy shit. They talking about aliens. They talking about Beavis and Butthead. They talk, I mean, they was just talking about all kinds of wild shit. Like, they were having conversations, but it wasn't lining up. And I'm like, I'm going to just ride this high out. I ain't going to say shit. Next thing you know, Wooly, pull out the motherfucking Glock. Loaded, cocked. One in the chamber. Take your fucking shoes off. Huh? Baby J, you fucking heard me. Take your motherfucker. Okay, yeah. I took my shoes off. Let me see your socks. So you know the little line at the top, you know, that goes over the toes? See, Willie said it's supposed to be at the bottom of the toe. It's not supposed to be at the top. <laughs> so he said, you see this? This how you wear socks, bitches. She got the line go at the bottom. And he's sitting there pulling my foot and showing me, let me see your motherfucking socks. <laughs> I swear to God, first motherfucker, they shit. If your line ain't at the bottom, it's going to be a fucking problem. So he's checking everybody's socks. Bobby said, fuck you, bitch, and pulled the socks up so the line went to the top of the toe. Willie said, oh, you think I'm fucking playing? Bobby said, I don't get no fuck. Bang! <laughs> he shot his fucking, he shot his family in the leg over the fucking line in the sock. I said, listen to me here. Let me help y'all get y'all socks together. <laughs> I'm running around helping niggas. Get, please don't let this nigga shoot nobody else. You know, 
That's the Bojacks for you. You know what? We be in the car. We be chilling. Oh, we hungry. We need to get something to eat. Who got the food stamps? We ain't got no food stamps. How much money you got? I ain't spending no money on food. Go to the Chinese food store. Order a bunch of food. And then next thing you know, Bobby kicking the door and Willie go in and start beating motherfuckers. Take the food after they cook it and rob the register. You know. <laughs> Fuck you ain't got the car running for. <laughs> I'm sitting in the car. I'm in the back seat. Bitch, this is a fucking robbery. What the fuck you ain't got the car running for? You didn't tell me it was going to be a rob. Okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> oh, it was always an adventure with the Bojacks. Until I broke up with John. See, John wanted my baby. He wanted Giovanni to be his baby. And he was very upset with the fact that I got pregnant by somebody else. Even though we hadn't seen each other in five months, because that the, last, the reason why I stopped seeing him was because the last time we was together, uh, I was dressed very cute. It was very nice. And I ended the night ended with brains all over the side of my fucking face. And at that point in time, I says, y'all niggas is just... Too comfortable with just killing people in front of me. I love y'all. Think you're cool. But I've had enough excitement. And um, John was just, you know, he wasn't very comfortable with the idea of me breaking up with him and having a baby with somebody else. So he kind of, um, he kind of took me hostage in his grandma's house. And he tied me up in the basement. And uh, it took me took me about 12 hours to get out of the house. And um, when he saw that I made it out the front door, he came after me with a gun. And this was in the middle of the day at 39th and Lancaster. Remember, baby, I showed you? And the trolley tracks is there. So he pistol with me with the gun, kicked me in my stomach and then pulled me out and waited for the trolley to come. And he was trying to hit me in the head to knock me out so the trolley would run over me. And then this guy came out of nowhere, socked the fuck out of John and was like, you ain't going to beat this woman to death in the street in front of me. And he picked me up and he carried me in his house and he cleaned me up and he took care of me. And I stayed with him for two days. And his name was Javon. I called him Javon the Angel, which is why I named Giovanni Giovanni. Because he didn't have to be here. That man had to intervene because John was going to hit me in the head. And so he was I was going to get ran over by that trolley. Like I wasn't breaking up with him. So I have to ask, how many physical altercations would you say you were in? For your 18th birthday. I don't know. A lot. I don't know. I mean, for a while there, it was weird when niggas didn't get shot. Like, damn, it's been quiet in the hood. <laughs> you know? Um, I think that that's what confuses people about me because I'm so cultured and I'm so refined and I'm so intelligent that they can't possibly imagine 
that that's the cover story for the real me. I guess it just never possibly crossed anybody's mind that maybe I'm a motherfucking monster too. Maybe I am a criminal. Maybe I am the worst of the worst. I mean, I, I'm the first to admit it. So I want to. Um, I've witnessed 100, over 150 murders in my life. I witnessed, and I've never testified in court. Anyone else testify in your area? I mean, there's some people that tried. Most people that I know that flipped died. I want to take it two different directions. Like people couldn't possibly understand the fact that I'm totally comfortable smelling exit. Don't bother me at all. Don't even turn my stomach. That's how much I've been around it. What's the worst that you've probably seen? Uh, whether it's a gunshot, physical altercation with your knives, uh, a blade or something? The worst? I can't talk about that. I can't talk about that. When it comes to but I've seen... <sighs> i put it to you this way. I became a hunter and a butcher on purpose because I'm not uncomfortable being around um, severed limbs. Blood doesn't bother me. Organs, flesh, even the smell doesn't bother me. Matter of fact, the only dead body I ever smelled that made me sick to my stomach was my son. I couldn't get the smell of his body out of my nose for three months. Couldn't eat. Every time I went to go eat, I just smelled his dead body. That's the only body that ever made me sick. But other than that, I mean, I fucked around with, with dangerous people. I, I hate to be able to admit it, but I've walked in the rooms like after fresh kills, watching people be hacked up in pieces right in front of me. Like we was just cutting up a cow. And that's how I was taught to see it. It ain't no different than killing an animal, just a different kind of animal. I think that's why people get so uncomfortable around me because they don't understand that I truly live in my base animal self. I don't see what other people see. My husband, and I, I, I had to apologize for saying it to him. 
I said, please don't ever get to the point where all I see you is is a meat sack. And I start wondering how many barrels of acid I'm going to need to dissolve you. Don't get me to that fucking point. People talk about life and death. But until you've seen it, like really experienced it, like I'm sitting there listening to all these people online, oh, the ashes, the ashes. You should see what I do with blood. People keep, I'm native. Fresh kill, you take your finger, you dip it in the blood, and you become one with the animal. It's a bonding experience. I can't explain that to normal people. You know. Did you have an opportunity to, like, most girls would be disgusted by that? I'm not like most girls. You had, like, a girl moment where I was never meant to be a girl, I was supposed to be a boy. I've been a disappointment my whole life. I came out with a vagina, but I got treated like a boy. All the same. There's no pictures of me until I'm damn near six months old because I was wearing all boy clothes from the baby shower. My Lois had a picture, God bless her heart. My godmother 90, she she, she coming to the end. But she has a picture of my baby shower. All blue shit, Superman, Spider-Man, the Credible Hulk, all this shit, and one pink streamer. They bet wrong in a hoe. I've been disappointing people since the day I, I came into this world. What I'm supposed to do, change? So I got treated like a boy. I played with boy toys. I did all boy things. All my friends were boys. I didn't like girls. Girls... Play with a doll. The fuck out of here. Let's climb trees and shit. You know, I, that's always been me. Was your name supposed to be like Jackie or something? Or like, was it supposed to be a boy's name? Or I, they had a boy's name set up for me. But then my aunt named me when, that, when I came out a girl because they was not prepared. Jacqueline Suzette. My dad wanted to name me Susie after my aunt Susie, who was his favorite sister. His oldest sister, the matriarch of the family. God bless that. Yeah, so thank God. Because I'd have been a mean motherfucker Susie boy. But instead, I'm Jacqueline Suzette. And... French Creole roots, shit. What um? I want to lean off the, the rap group experience as far as the moment you were going to be a rapper. Yeah. And leaning into. Um, I was never going to be Whitney Houston. What the point? What the fuck was the point in trying to be the greatest singer ever when the greatest singer ever already came? Well, wait a minute, honey. What did Uncle Robin say on the phone the other day? Still alive. Uncle Robin. Oh. 
Yeah, but what did, what did he say he wanted me to start doing again? Singing. No. What? He said, I want you to start spitting again. He said, these niggas don't know. You, you the finest female MC, period. Hands down. He said, you need to start spitting again. <laughs> so even in relationship with like Big L, mm -hmm. uh, was he already rapping? Yeah. He was already the king when I met He was already about to be the king when I met him. I was 14. He was 17. I was with Akbar. And then from Akbar, after my daughter died, and then I came back to Islam and I went back to Holy Tabernacle. Before it was Holy Tabernacle, when they were still the answers, I got promised to Shia. Me and El was creeping that whole time. And a lot of time we spent in my car because I had Philadelphia, I had Pennsylvania tags. So wasn't nobody looking for him in a Philly car. Creeping. I was, I was the creep master. So at what point does the dominatrix lifestyle come in as far as the way to get money, the way to... I was auditioning for Broadway plays. I was a single mom. My dad cut my baby daddy a check and told him his services were no longer needed. Thank you. And so, and that was that. Yeah, Donnie came over once when Giovanni was a baby. My dad called him downstairs, cut him a check for $500 and told him to bounce, don't come back. <laughs> um, my dad was that guy. He took the check and never came back. I'd have asked for more. But as a single mom, I was raising my son with my parents. My father was the best male role model I could have asked for for my son, so I was good. Um, I worked really hard, worked really hard to build my career. And um, I would hustle money for pool on the side, but it wasn't enough. If I really wanted to break into the game, I had to be able to play the game. And in order to play the game, you got to pay your way in to the game. L taught me how to do that. But I needed capital. Takes money to make money. So it started out with phone sex. And I was a phone sex operator. Yeah, on some girl sex shit. Um, and I was good at it because I understood perverts because there were so many in my family. So I was making $20 an hour. Just 1993, 94. I'm making $20 an hour. But after the agency takes their fees and then I pay for my time slots to be on the phone to get the money, I was really only making like $11 an hour. Now, even in the early 90s, that still wasn't bad. But I, I'm just not that chick. So I started asking questions to the girls because there was phone sex lines in there on the one side. And then we had the dominatrix and then we just had the standard Escorts. Um, so I pitched an idea to the owner to start sponsoring bachelor parties. I'm like, we can get the phone sex girls. 
and we can get dominatrix girls and escorts put a package together. They have it all in one full service bachelor party. And then I'll call a caterer. Boom. We bring the bachelor party to you. You know how much fucking money that, that shit made? We was in Atlantic City four nights a week. I was doing five, I was managing five bachelor parties a night and I worked. Not only did I arrange the party, I worked the party. Kicking niggas asses, spanking them. Putting jello on them, spanking them. Man, I get to beat up niggas for free and get paid. I ain't gonna catch no case when I'm about to do to him. Shit, let's go. Was it mainly Caucasians? It was all kinds. These perverts. I mean, 65% of my client base was Caucasian. Just a standard. Look at the demographics in the United States. It makes sense. Um, but that other 35% that was color, oddly enough, they were stranger than the white boys. And then I got lost in that, that life and then I, I became a dominatrix full time. I started out. I'll manage someone asked you to do that. Kind of pushed him a little bit. Well, I was dog training. He had a dog fetish. He wanted to be a dog and be treated like a dog. So I had his collar and his leash. And I had a chain for him and I had a little paddle for him for when he made boo-boo on the carpet. Or if he made pee-pee on the carpet. This motherfucker would piss on his own carpet. Um, I'd walk him around the apartment and he would do tricks and he would beg for treats. Yeah, he was a dog. And, um, you know, sometimes people just evolve. And it just, it went in a bad direction. So the one day I came over and I was doing, getting ready to do our normal session. And then I seen that he had the X-Lax on the table and the dog food. And he had the diaper. And I'm like, you add something new today? He said, yeah, yeah, you know, I just, I want to take it further. I want to take it further. I want to, I trust you. I know I can go there with you. So I crushed up the X-Lax and the dog food and I put it in the bowl and he eat it. And he, I put the diaper on him and then I walk him. And then he make the boo-boo in the diaper. So I take the diaper off and he pees all over the carpet and I got to beat him. Bad dog, cause he's pissing on the carpet. And then um, he wanted me to shove his face in the diaper so he could eat his own shit. And I looked at him, I said, you know you're human, right? Like you're a human being, dude. I'm not doing this to you. I'll give you an extra thousand. I don't know 
Listen to me. You, you should get therapy. Not even you deserve this. Like this, I don't know what you're going. I'm not doing this to you. You're a fucking human being. And he said, please just make me eat it, mistress. Make me eat it, make me eat it. Then he offered me 5,000 extra. I was already getting paid 1,200 for two hours. He wanted to put five on top of that. And he always tipped me out 500. I say, no. This pussy went and got 10 grand out of his bedroom. Please do it for me. You're the only one I trust. That pussy was about to pay me $11,1,200 with a $500 tip to make him eat his own shit. Yeah, no, I didn't take the money. I left. I said to myself, if I take this money, my humanity is over. I'm not a human anymore. I'm an animal too. Because all money ain't fucking good money. Sucks. That sucks, Lord. Wow. Yeah, I always keep them at the bottom. Oh, shit, man. I'm just thinking about it. I'm going to keep mine at the bottom. <laughs> wow. He shot his own cousin in the leg. Over socks. He was high as fuck? Yeah, they was high as, they was high as fuck on wet. Them niggas had been through like three or four dippers. He was zooted. And shot his cousin in the leg over socks. Zooted, tooted, and moved. And we had to call the doctor, and the doctor came, took the bullet out, patched him up. Oh, no hospital. Fuck no. That gun had bodies on it. Yeah, we didn't do a lot of hospital trips. <laughs> niggas, niggas had doctors. That's the beautiful thing about living in the northern cities. Everybody works under the table. Yeah, you don't get too much of that out here. Yeah, hospital. Nah. I, I, that's why anytime they ask me, I'm like. All my shit is done in cash. Like I, shit when my ex-boyfriend shot me and we went to the hospital together. I ain't tell them he was the one that shot me. I said I caught a stray and I did, but he was the one that shot the bullet. <laughs> you know. So I have a question then. Um, wait, what? Doing that, dumb, you have the, you understand the psychology behind a fetish. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so you know probably what chemically. What's oh, yeah. It's all dopamine. It's all dopamine induced and triggered. I watch it online. A lot of people online don't even realize they got online fetish. Being online has now become a fetish. Yeah. It qualifies. A senseless thing that brings nothing into your life, but yet you have to have it. Who the fuck falls in love with a foot?
You know, it's a special kind of motherfucker that wants you to shave all your body hair off and wear children's underwear and dance for them with pig, with a wig with pigtails and shit. So I was going to ask, if you ever have to get in costume too? Oh, absolutely. I was always in character. Um, we had this one client, wonderful old white man in South Jersey. He was a corporate executive at a pharmaceutical company, retired with um, Golden Parachute, divorced his wife of 35 years, cut everybody a check, told him to leave him alone. He went and got himself a halfway decent apartment. And um, he dedicated his retirement to um, getting um, escorts and dominatrix smoking crack. And so, you know, come over and we play the dress up. I'd have to do his makeup. He liked very, very, very goth vamp eye makeup. And very, very, very red lips. And I'd get him dressed in his, his undergarments and then put on his gown. And then I would put on a tux. And we would ballroom dance for a half an hour. That was his cardio. And then um, he would start smoking crack. And then I would start bringing the girls over. So I was, listen, no, listen to me. This guy, he started booking girls Thursday night at 6 p.m. And we had girls going out there in eight-hour shifts until Monday morning. He was never alone. As soon as one girl was clocking out, the other girl was showing up. And all they had to do was light his crack pipe and, you know, help him play with himself in his women's clothes. I'll never forget there was this one time his his testicle got lodged because he had his thong on too tight. (laughs) And I had to call his doctor. His old ass man with his balls stuck inside him because his drawers is too tight. <laughs> you know, a lot of times it'd be hard not to laugh, you know. The shit that these motherfuckers do is so goddamn ridiculous, you know. You try not to laugh like, motherfucker, are you serious? You know, but you're paying me. So what got you out of that lifestyle making what it be so lucrative? I had a bad week. I evolve real fast in the life, like I do with anything, like anything that I do, I'm going to be amazing at it. Like I'm going to be the best that ever did it. That's just my personal standard. So when I came into the game, I knew I wanted to be the top dominatrix in the city or at least in the top three. And for a black girl, That in the early 90s, that was hard to accomplish because a lot of them white men didn't trust dealing with black girls because of black rage and they were afraid of getting blackmailed. So I became a very trusted worker. Three fifty an hour. Nineteen ninety fucking four. Ninety five. I was making three fifty an hour. I was making ten racks a week. 
And then when I started going back to doing bachelor parties again and then taking private clients, because my private, when I, when I went through the agency, I was three fifty an hour. When I went private, I was a thousand an hour because I'm assuming more risk. And I had a driver. He was my driver and my bodyguard. His name is Mike. I call him Mickey. He calls me Asia. That was my mistress name. Mistress Asia. Ain't that odd that I chose that name? My dead daughter's name is Nia Asia. Shout out to Real Street Stars, nigga. Mola. Hey.